Welcome back to season three of MasterCard's Fortune Favors the Bold. I'm your host, Ashley C. Ford, and this week we have a special treat for you, a live show. Today we're playing you a conversation I had in front of a live audience as part of On Air Fest at the Wythe Hotel in Brooklyn. I talked to Lindsay Taylor Wood, a gender equality advocate, and comedian and writer Baratunde Thurston, all about the question at the heart of our show. How do we stay bold, even when we have all kinds of financial questions? Let's get into it. This is going to be a lot of fun for us today, guys, mostly me. Uh, but you are welcome to join in on the fun. We are going to ask these guys some tough questions, and we'll see how it goes for them. It should be fun for you as well. Fine. Let's see. We'll see. Okay, so on the Fortune Favors the Pulled podcast, one of the ideas we've been talking about a lot is financial identity, which is essentially what has formed the ideas around finance, money, class, all of those things for us. So I want to ask the two of you, and I'm going to start with you, Baratunde, actually. How do you think financial identity impacts our understanding of what it takes to be bold? How does that work for you? I did not grow up in a house where I felt that there were bold financial decisions available uh, to my family. I was raised by my mother <clears throat> in Washington, D.C., mostly in the 80s. She raised me and my sister. Uh, she did a, a great job. I'm here. But she had to do a lot of heroic work to make things work. And I remember her telling me, I remember, I can't say the day, but I remember where we were in the house when she had to declare bankruptcy. Mm. And she would show me her budgeting, always by hand, these little ledgers in her checkbook. And I remember her saying, I'm telling you these things now about the bankruptcy because I don't want someone using that against you later mm. in life. You need to know like, where we're at, where we're coming from. And so I, just, I saw someone who made a lot out of a little. I never wanted for things. But it wasn't until I was exposed to other people and their financial identities of plenty I'm like, oh, that's what money looks like. Mm -hmm. That's what it smells like. That's what it affords. And there was a level of boldness and freedom and entitlement and risk-taking that I slowly learned to adopt from where I started. But it still doesn't compare to some of the things people my same age now are able to do. So I feel good about my identity. I have no debt, which is a big step. But it started, the identity started with watching a woman make it work with very little, and then having my mind blown to be around and peers with people who I clearly wasn't peers with. Right. And what that sort of shifts in your head about what's possible and what bold really means. Have you had any of those shifts, Lindsay, about what's possible for you? Sure. I mean, I think there's the personal, right, which um, I had a bit of the inverse experience, which is that I grew up in a very affluent place and had access to a lot. And then my mother died and my family lost everything. Um, and I went from sort of this 
you know, vantage point of being able to see the world in one way, to seeing the world in another way, and, and really witnessing what money affords you and what it doesn't and the way people engage you and speak to you and how you're treated differently. And then it was a really, you know, unfortunate and fascinating thing to go through as a young person. Um, and so certainly I think I have seen some interesting things in that sphere as an individual, um, but by virtue of what I now do with my work, I think that what's been fascinating is looking at it in a more systemic way. My background was in women's rights and working in the philanthropic space, uh, and I did that for about a decade, and in early 2016, I had the realization that you could pick literally any metric by which to measure the success and advancement of girls and women systemically, and we'd either flatlined or were moving in the wrong direction. Um, and so it became harder and harder for me to justify asking these wealth holders that I was working with to allocate significant amounts of capital when we just weren't seeing the sorts of social returns that we wanted to see. And so at that point, um, I spent a year trying to answer the question, why is philanthropy the only way we invest in equality? And I got back a myriad answers, but the one finding that was most catalytic to my work was the realization that as a general rule, when men have wealth, they're invited to invest and amass more wealth. Whereas when women have wealth, they're invited to give it away. And so my passion and my work has really been around inviting women to think differently about their relationship with their wealth um, and what it might look like to spend their capital in a different way to fund um, women and minority built and led companies and to think about both the micro and macro implications of what would happen if we were to do that. And so I think when I think about the question of boldness, I think it's the ultimate privilege when it comes to money, right? Mm -hmm. Because so many things have to be secure in order for you to take risks and take bets. One Can of I just add real quick? Absolutely. That was dope. <laughs> I agree. She got game. I agree. Baratunde, one of the things that I really liked that you just said was that it's really hard to be bold from essentially a place of instability or a place of financial insecurity or something like that. It's hard to be bold from that space. One of the things that I struggle with, especially coming from a background where I would use the word poverty, when I graduated from high school and had to fill out the FAFSA myself. FAFSA, <laughs> FAFSA. <win. laughs> um, my mom handed me her tax documents because she didn't know how to do it or what to do, and she said, okay, here you go, figure it out. But that was when I realized that raising four kids by herself, my mom had made $36,000, and that that was the most she had ever made. And even though I am now at a much more stable place financially than I have ever been in my entire life, there is part of me that still is always wondering why I couldn't make my life work <laughs> on $36,000. If my mom raised four kids on $36,000 a year, like why do I need more? And do I need more? And struggling with that idea of enough because it's really, really, in my opinion, really hard to be bold when your idea of what's enough is even lower. Yeah. For me, it's, uh, I've had a split or multiple perspective on it. Um, my mother passed away in 2005. 
and my sister and I found all these papers that I never really started to look at until a few years ago. And I saw her tax returns and her earnings. And very similar, how did she do anything? I am a spoiled baby. When I graduated college, the first job I took, I earned more than my mother's peak in any given year in her life. That's partly why she did what she did. But I think in, at times I have felt like I'm in a world where I feel relatively financially stable, but nowhere near where I feel like I need to be, even for basic security. But I had to like approach that, and it wasn't a coach for me. You know? So at times I have felt very free and very uh, bold and liberated to do what I want, but I also retain a sense of scarcity and luck and um, instability and a state of this is temporary and how long will this last and what's the thing that's gonna break it all? And I, I don't try to live in that space because that's paranoia, but it's just not the norm that was set as my initial baseline. Um, so I'm, I'm juggling between these worlds because I don't struggle for the basics and my food is covered, I'm wearing some dope shoes, you know, like I'm good on that and I have enough discretionary income that I can make choices without penny pinching. I've like escaped the penny pinching phase, but I don't own anything, not really. I don't have any property, I don't have massive investments. And so who am I comparing myself to? What are my goals? Am I comparing myself to my mom and her struggle in the 70s and 80s and 60s? Am I comparing myself to the people who I am in business with right now and like share credit with on TV shows or on stage? Am I comparing myself to a future version that I want to be, but know I'm far short of? And it, that comparison is a moving target. And so my feelings about where I'm at move with that target. Mm, yes. One of the things that we talked about on the podcast was this idea of financial equilibrium, which essentially is just being at the place where you feel like you're okay. Like, I feel safe in this space of financial equilibrium, which is where a lot of people then decide to be bold or take risks from. I'm wondering, have you had the experience? And if you have, what does it feel like to be at financial equilibrium? Because financial equilibrium is not necessarily something that stays, but it's there for a second. What's that like for you? So I am the wrong person <laughs> to answer this question in that. Um, mm -hmm. I was very fortunate in that I was at a place where I had saved enough money and had enough access to resources that I would have been fine. I could have had a nice life. I could have bought a place in New York. I could have done what I needed to do. And instead, I became an entrepreneur and invested in myself and made the decision that I was going to take this really big swing and, you know, leave it all out on the field. Uh, and so I offer that because it's so relative, right? To me, the question is more, are you getting to a place where the way in which you are spending your money or saving your money is aligned with what is important to you, right? And to me, it's more about like that equilibrium than like how much is in your bank account. So in that I'm living, I have the absolute and immense privilege of doing what I want to do in the service of something I believe in every day and having had the resources to do that. 
I think I've hit a, a, an equilibrium or a place in which I can stand in that and be proud of the decision I made. Now, if it all goes bust, I hope someone has a spare room for me, um, and then we can talk about how or if I wish I'd made the same decision. Um, but for now, I think like this is the one life that I have, and I wanna I wanna live it in a way that feels bold. Over 1,800 businesses are opening up each day by women. What's remarkable, though, is while they're contributing to the economy, only 2% of all VC funding is going to women entrepreneurs. My name is Cheryl Guerin. I manage marketing and communications for MasterCard for North America. MasterCard conducted a study amongst women small business owners to understand their needs and their unmet needs. And one of the most important pieces that we saw from our research is that women felt in order to really grow or take their business to the next level, they needed advice and mentorship from other women. So MasterCard was inspired to launch Her Ideas Start Something Priceless we're committed to reach 1 million women entrepreneurs. And so it's physical, so you could attend conferences and meet people in person for these live events that we're doing, and digital. So we've expanded our partnership with Create and Cultivate, a conference and digital platform that provides content that is inspirational and informational for women who are focused on entrepreneurship or owning their own small business. And we've partnered with Hello Alice. Hello Alice is a great resource for small business owners. Through their site, they have a variety of tools, resources, where to go, how-tos, etc., to help small businesses. Shining a light on these women sets an example for other women to see. And so the complementary physical locations and digital capability is going to really explode our reach. The Her Ideas Start Something Priceless campaign and community is designed to hopefully have a great positive impact on the lives of women who own businesses. I've had many mentors in my career, but I truly remember this one boss that I had, and she pushed me to really try something new, which was digital marketing, and take a whiteboard approach, and start from scratch, and take a chance. And this is scary. I think about these women starting from a whiteboard as well, and they're taking a chance, a major one. At MasterCard, we are committed to drive confidence, to drive capability, and to drive more women into their own businesses. To learn more, email fftb at mastercard.com. What can you do to help people, women, black folks, non-black people of color, indigenous folks who think of risk as not just like I might lose money, but I might lose everything. How do we support them so that they can make big moves? How do we do that? Um, 
Here's a, here's a trick I learned young that I didn't realize till later. I was in public school, grew up in DC in a black and Latin neighborhood um, until seventh grade. And then I started going to this private school. And I learned a lot of lessons at private school. Like, oh, this is what a textbook should look like, right? Because that was one. <laughs> but also, entitlement isn't always bad when it's in the service of love of self mm -hmm. as opposed to degradation of the other. Mm. And so what I learned from my private school peers who had the same challenges ultimately as a human that I did, we all have pain and struggle, so no one's fully free. But what I learned from them was to have a feeling of deservedness, that I deserve to be here, mm. that I deserve opportunity. Not that I hope I, I'm lucky enough to get a shot to prove myself to a committee. No. You deserve to be here. You deserve this air. You deserve this land. You deserve this job. You deserve this resource. Mm. And some people are, are born into, often for better, a default setting of I deserve. And others of us are not. And we have to learn to feel like we deserve. And so I got a lesson in starting in seventh grade, and it took a few years to be like, I deserve good teachers. I deserve to have my questions answered. I deserve to be able to question authority and not lose some essential part of myself, but get a damn answer. Mm -hmm. And so that started to lay the groundwork. I don't have the financial resources that I ultimately want, but I do feel like I deserve a shot. Mm -hmm. And, and it was, there's a freedom in that sense of feeling entitled to opportunity mm. that puts us in a better position to be strong and grounded in actually getting it. Yes, yeah. I agree with you, Lindsay. Ooh, I did not want to follow that. Um, I mean, it's the thing that's both uh, an opportunity and an obstacle about these questions, right, is that from what perspective are, are we speaking? And I think so much of what you just said was sort of in my head and heart in the question Ashley asked before that, which is like, you know, getting to a place where we feel worthy of wanting and feeling like you're a friend of mine, and so I happen to know that you could lead a very happy life with Kelly on 30-something thousand dollars a year in Indiana and like be the beautiful woman that you are. Um, but True. I, but, but I also... <laughs> She's like, I am beautiful. But I am I, beautiful. <laughs> she is. But I also know that you love interior design, and I know that you love to travel, and I know, and like getting to a place where we feel deserved of and, and sort of shameless and our ability to express desire, I think, is so much of what is missing for me in the conversation around women, money, and power. But I also think, just to answer the question in a wildly different way, because of what I do for a living, right? Invest in women. Like, for the people in the room that do have resources, and again, you can think of that in terms of conscious consumerism. You can think of that in terms of you know, small angel checks. And again, I know that that is coming from a place of privilege and abundance, but 2.2% mm -hmm. of all venture capital goes to women. Mm. It's like 0. 0.0002 for black women and Latino women. Like it's insane, right? Which mm -hmm. basically means that all of these huge, big, crazy companies that are essentially the scaffolding of the world that you're participating in every day, which are driving our economy, which affect the policy and legislation that means that you're not getting equal pay and you're not getting maternal and parental leave and you're not ensuring that your supply chain is clean. Like 
this is how it works, right? So we have to start investing in women and minority built and led companies. I think my advice to people in terms of being more bold or addressing these issues would just be to think really thoughtfully about capital allocation and to think about your own spend and to think about how you're promoting the sort of values that you are saying politically and socially you believe in economically and realizing that all of those things are interconnected. And so I think we have to start looking at that as well. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. (laughs) Put your your money where your mouth is. I love that. So my final question for you guys I'm going to go into. One of the things that I wish I had told myself, especially when I was in college, I wish I had told myself that there was no such thing as a sure thing. Um, I had like six or seven college majors until I finally, I'm not kidding. That's a lot. <laughs> I know you, I see, don't look at me like that, don't judge me. I, I finally stopped when I found the thing that actually just held my attention and was the thing I wanted to do, which was writing. And I wished so badly that I had not spent so many years trying to turn myself into a social studies teacher. But don't, y'all, don't judge me, (laughs) okay? I wish that that had been the case. So I think one could argue that you are a social studies teacher. (laughs) Mind blown. Wow, finally. Um, But yeah, like that's a thing that I really, really wish that if I could talk to a younger version of myself, I would have told her that you can get laid off as easily as you cannot find a job in the market that you want. Like you might as well be doing what you want to do. That would be my advice to myself on like basically how to be as bold as I actually felt inside, but was really afraid to be. Do you guys have a thing that you really wish at a critical moment in your life you would have said this to yourself even if you couldn't see it so i'm engaged now and it took me a while to show up in the relationship with a level of like financial collaboration and openness in the way that i show up in other places because of shame and Mm. fear and i want to do things right and if she can see this part of me that doesn't feel right then that reflects poorly on me Mm. as a man as a person as a providing person in a joint venture, which is a relationship. And so letting that barrier down has been a slow process, but very fruitful. And it turns out that like that's part of the relationship. Yes. And again, I didn't get any coaching or mentorship on that. So I had to learn very slowly with some probably avoidable pain that like let your partner in, mm. you know, show them what you're afraid of. And luckily I have found that. And that's a really beautiful thing. But again, I wish I knew that a little sooner. Could have saved some awkward conversations, mm. and mostly some awkward conversations with myself, mm. based in fear. Yes. Whew. Come on, Lance. I think we have a good yin and yang thing going here yeah, because good. mine is not like a really specific piece of sort of tactical advice. We have to start evaluating the ways in which we are complicit in our own oppression, and yep. I am speaking specifically to the women in the room, like whether that is the shame you carry around your money story, whether that is the things you're scared of showing your partner, whether that is, you know, not checking what you think leadership looks like. And with that, right, Mm -hmm. what I can do and the way I show up in the world requires more of me and requires that I hold other people to a standard 
in which we are inviting them to look around and say, we have to do more and we have to show up in a bigger, bolder way than we ever have before. Mm -hmm. And so I think with the specific conversation around money, like, why do we need a man to manage our money? Mm. Why do we need a man to provide financial security? Why are we scared to ask for a raise? Why don't we demand that we're paid equally? What are the ways in which we're you know, looking towards the future and ensuring that we're setting ourselves up for success? Why are we scared to have those conversations? What are the ways in which we've been conditioned not to? So a very long and meandering answer, which is we are complicit in our own oppression and we have to start really having that conversation with ourselves. Invest in women. All right. I love that. Damn, Lizzie. <laughs> I love how impressed the two of you are with each other. It makes me really happy. I feel like such a connector. Mm. Baratunde, you want to ask Lindsay a question? Yeah, I do, because you just said some, you're saying a lot of dope things. Can you pay a picture of the promise of a more equitable capitalist situation with respect to women in finance and disenfranchised community? And what's a different relationship we could have with money? How could it be allocated? What would the world look like if you had your way for all of us? Good Lord. Um, I mean, the short answer is like, I don't think we know what inclusive capitalism looks like. And I think that the challenge in trying to actually have a conversation often about feminism and capitalism is that we're taught that those two things can't live together, but it is the world we live in, right? And so all we can do is continue to iterate and reclaim and deconstruct and rebuild in ways that create opportunity for all of us. I will say, in a more um, leaving the audience with a hopeful, which Veritone tells me is the most important part, I think that, like, of course there's hope. And when you invest in women and minority built and led companies, on a micro level, you're looking at cultures, policies, products that work for everyone, right? Then when those small companies become big companies and those companies have a say in what policies are being passed, the things that are being legislated, the ways in which we're affecting environments, the way in which we're affecting supply chains, you would like to think that when those marginalized voices are then in leadership positions, the way in which they move through the world, take these things into account and advocate for them are going to be fundamentally different so my hope and what I'm sort of hanging my, my personal hat on um, is that we, we will start to see those things on the macro level unfurl more than what we've seen prior. Yes. Lindsay, thank you so much. Barrett thank, so thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much to On Air Fest. MasterCard, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having us. It was really, really thank fun. Thank you. Thank you. I loved having that conversation with Baratunde and Lindsay because that question, how can we be bold even when faced with all kinds of big financial choices, has really been at the heart of every question we've asked this season. If I've learned anything over the last eight episodes, it's that everything we do is affected by the way we think and feel about money. Our financial identity affects where we choose to go to school, where we take vacation, the jobs we work, the conversations we have with our partners, everything. But our conversations this season have also reminded me that our ideas about money are tangled up in everyone else's ideas about money. And I think that's good. 
it means we're not alone. Everyone has big financial questions. And as long as we take the time to talk them out together, we can all find ways, big and small, to make bold choices every day. And that's what Fortune Favors the Bold is all about. That's a wrap on season three. I've had so much fun. I'm sad to be leaving you, but stay tuned. We'll have a special bonus episode coming to you very soon. Fortune Favors the Bold is a podcast from MasterCard and Pineapple Street Studios. It's hosted and produced by me, Ashley C. Ford. Our MasterCard executive producers are Marcy Cohen and Brooke Capsuroni. MasterCard editorial direction by Arsalan Danish and production by Rebecca Abraham. Our MasterCard mid-roll producer is Mira Belgrade. Our theme song is by Bobby Lord. Tell us what you thought of the show. Find us on Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. And tell your friends about the show, too. I'm Ashley C. Ford. Fortune Favors the Bold will be back soon. <laughs>